record in your pew back. Fill that out. Someone will send you a, an email or if you request a phone call just to connect with you, let you know what the life of our community is like. We're really big on emphasizing that this Sunday experience is wonderful. It's a part of our church. It's a great entry point for a lot of people. Um, but if anything, this is a, we hope that this will always be viewed as a gathering of our home groups coming together to worship together, to learn together so that we can disperse uh, and be the, the, the people of, of Jesus that we're called to be in the world. So if you'd like to know more about our, our community and what it means to get connected, please do that on the high card. Uh, if you have prayer requests, there's going to be people throughout the back half of the service here praying, or you can write prayer requests down, and later on uh, the uh, plates will come around when we do offering. Uh, we have Creative Collective tomorrow. Not, yes, tomorrow night. So we changed the date, in case you were confused on that. It is Monday, tomorrow, at 6.45 at our office space. The, all the information you need is on the back of your bulletin, every detail. So if you want to turn to that. Um, we also, uh, on October, I believe it's 25th, uh, we've shifted this date once as well, so we apologize for the shifting calendar, but we're doing um, this Create event again. It's a big night uh, at the Avon Theater talking about calling, what it means, what, what it looks like to understand your calling, what it looks like to understand what it means to be a, a Christian in your work. Um, it's taken from this quote from Mary Oliver, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? Uh, so it's not just for folks who are trying to figure out your calling. Um, it's folks that kind of across the spectrum of doing a little refresh on what, what am I here to do? Uh, so we have a lot of surprises coming up, and we just want to help you get that date on the calendar, but we have some exciting things to announce. It's going to be a bit expanded uh, versus last time. And uh, that's it. So Creative Collective tomorrow, it's just a work and faith roundtable. If you consider yourself a creative, work in the creative industry from entrepreneurs to artists, we welcome you to come to that. It's going to be a really great discussion. We have a special guest speaker as well. Uh, and with that, I'm going to welcome up Anna Maria, and we're going to uh, take a moment to, uh, to read the word of God together. So uh, would you stand for the reading of the word? Good morning, church. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The more I watch that trailer, the spookier it gets. This is the series that we're in if you're just joining us for the first time this week. How many of you were here last Sunday? The kids' version of that? <laughs> How brilliant was that? 
Um, we, uh, we're in this series. We do this every fall. Some kind of, just kind of hitting refresh, looking at a different angle of what it means to be the church. This is kind of the new year for the church cycle, uh, much more than January 1st is sort of the September. I think for a lot of us, we're conditioned, right? Since we're little kids, this is the time where we go to a new classroom. This is the time where we meet new kids. Uh, when we get to, to college, this is the time the year actually starts. And for a lot of us, uh, even if it, nothing really changes in September, I think there's a kind of just, especially being in New England, like a little like crispness in the air that you all of a sudden start to crave all things pumpkin. And then you actually are like, man, I, I got to do something like, with myself. <laughs> uh, especially Rhode Island summers tend to just force you into a, a state of rest and gluttony. Um, at least me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, uh, we're in week three of this series. And uh, I'm gonna, my, my talk today is really s- simple. Uh, and it was actually, the, if there was a title to it, a subject line, it was already just read in, uh, in the verse um, that we just recited together. And it's not, get behind me, Satan. Though, uh, though that's a, a verse that we could take some time with. Um, and I, I'm coming off, it's funny, sometimes there are certain weeks for me, uh, like any one of you that are more busy uh, or more um, not busy. And I, this week has been a busy week. And, and it's funny that this was the text that I, I had to preach. Something that I had been thinking about and had in my head for the last month or so. And coming to this text, realizing that as I look back on what was an incredibly, incredibly busy week, more than ever, in the face of so many priorities and so many lists, this is the kind of, of, uh, of message that I know I needed to hear. Um, I, I wanted to just, for the sake of telling a story, just share with you a bit, and I'm sure you can share with me after how busy your week was, but again, I have the microphone. My, <laughs> we, we did something awful in my, my family, uh, something I've never done. And uh, before I tell you what it is, I'll tell you that I asked my father, who many of you have met, who is a, a pastor here in Rhode Island as well, who has been preaching, serving in ministry for decades and decades and decades. Wise man, kind of like a, I've seen it all. And I asked him, hey, this awful thing that my wife and I did, you ever done that? He was, <laughs> I hear on the other line, wait, are you serious? Yeah, he's like, yeah. I mean, I've had dreams about that happening. <laughs> awesome, Dad. Thanks. So my wife and I double booked a wedding. And not like we double booked weddings like that we were going to just happen to go to and then we had to decide like who we liked more or whose feelings would be hurt more. No, no, no. I was supposed to perform both these weddings. Pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Great. So what we, we put together, this is a long story, but actually my, my wife, my incredible, who's actually, um, I know she's not here in the service this morning, um, but we were able to kind of split our time. So I did the, the wedding ceremony here, and there's a number of reasons this, and she did the wedding ceremony down in Connecticut. And so what we had to do is drive. I, I, we wanted to make sure everyone sort of felt loved. So imagine here in Bristol, 
Which, by the way, Mike and Monica, I don't know how many of you know Mike and Monica, but they got married. When they, they're, they're doing some, their own thing today. But uh, when they come back, we'll have to welcome them properly. So Weston, Connecticut was two and a half, is two and a half hours away. It was really three and a half or so with traffic. This is a straight shot down 95. And we, uh, yeah, I drove eight hours yesterday, or in the last two days. Just sort of, oh, I'll make the end of this rehearsal, and then Corey will come back, and then I'll go back down again, and then, well, Corey will just get a hotel, and then we'll rent a car. And have you ever had a weekend like this? It was like, it was like normal, busy, like we have no time. We're driving back and forth from here to Western Connecticut. We have all of the ache of like a wedding. Right? People don't act normal during weddings. Right? Every, everybody's emotions are just through the roof, whether it's happy and usually it's more like anxiety. Like the weirdest things all of a sudden become stressful. So you're managing all of that. You've already let these two folks down. And in some capacity, even though they're telling you it's fine, it's no big deal, this happens. Like this doesn't happen. And so driving back and forth in a rental SUV that gets, like, really bad gas mileage. I had to get an SUV because I had to, like, get stuff set up for my daughter's birthday party and court things back and forth. And I'm boring you, I know. But, oh, my gosh, one of those kinds of weekends where you have a moment, or at least I had multiple moments, knowing I've got to get this stuff done. I've got to do these things. This is imperative to, like, my being a decent human being. But uh, I, I feel like my attention is in no way focused on what it ultimately should be focused on. Where whatever it was, whether it was weddings or, or, or whether it was the stress of work, whether it was kids running around, uh, whatever massive stress, work overload. Oh my gosh, I have no bandwidth. I just want to curl up with my friend Netflix and live with him for a while, or her, if your Netflix is female. And just sit there. And so this isn't a sermon about busyness. This isn't a sermon about Sabbath or rest. I wanted to talk a little bit about this line that caught me off guard. Peter who we're going to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about his story. If you've ever read any of the stories of Peter. Peter's the guy who wants to walk out on the water. Peter. Peter's the, the, the guy who has a, a bit of an iffy relationship. He seems earnest. He's excitable. He seems to be the guy I always imagined Peter as sort of the, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And then things get hard or a little bit weird are a whole lot of stressful, like more than doing a lot of driving for a weekend that you almost messed up people's, you know, marital moment. That's a pretty big deal. But this is like in then situations of real death, trial, and persecution, we see this excitable follower of Jesus cave over and over. And, and then we see a shift in the life of Peter, and I want to talk about this shift. Peter is the guy, if you were here two weeks ago when we started this series, that Jesus says he's, he walks these disciples to this really broken place called Caesarea Philippi, and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. I'm going to call a group of people out to embody the, the, the rule and reign of Jesus. If this, all this language is new to you, this is the, the, the first moment that we kind of hear about church 
in the way that we think about it. A people called out of their homes to plot and plan the way of heaven. What does the love and justice and beauty of God look like played out? And so he says, on this rock I'll build my church. And what's interesting, as we talked about, is rock meant like it was Peter's name. His, his name, Cephas, meant rock. And so something in Peter's confession that Jesus is Lord, there's something in the fact that Peter plays a huge role in the church. There's something about him being like the, the, the guy who represented these first disciples. Jesus does this little punny thing where he's like, yeah, 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 and see all this brokenness around you? And on this rock, you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. This just happened, at least in the text. And we are three verses later. Jesus says, he basically announces, this is how this whole thing is going to go down. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to die. This revolution that we're about to start, I'm going to have to go down for it. This revolution that says, not Caesar is not Lord, but, 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 but Jesus is. Jesus goes, I, this is how this thing is going to end. It's not going to end with military takeover. It's not going to end with our particular political party taking over. It's not going to end with being able to finally legislate whatever. Am I preaching? It's not going to end that way. It's going to end with me dying. Peter's response. No. No. That, that's not going to happen. Jesus turns to Peter and says, you know, mild, meek, holding the lamb Jesus. Always loves everybody all the time. So sweet and cuddly Jesus. Says, hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. wasn't that bad a thing. He just said, I don't want you to die. No, no, that can't be how this thing goes. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. And then here's the verse that we're going to, this whole teaching is going to orbit around. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, I just said, on you, I'm going to build my church. Peter, you're the guy who was like, I can be like the rabbi who wants to walk out onto the water, if you're familiar with that passage. This is the guy who is earnest and seems hungry. He's the guy that Jesus was just like, yeah, 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 Peter, you said the right answer. This is great. And turns right around and goes, but look, you still continually don't have the concerns of God in mind. You have human concerns. This eager, excitable follower of Jesus, when push comes to shove and it goes, hey, you know what? I know you think we're going to do this whole like rebellion thing. I know you think this is going to be this amazing moment where our politics are actually going to override like everybody else and we're going to finally be back in charge. And he's like, nope. And Peter's like, no, 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 that can't happen, that can't happen, that can't happen, that can't happen. I got the answer right. This is going to be great. We're going to be like a team. He's, and, and immediately Jesus starts to reprimand him. Get behind me. Right? Satan, I could teach a whole long thing on that. But the deceiver, this word comes from, this is like the deception. You're getting it 
wrong. You're missing it. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to John 18. The text will not be on the screen. John 18. If you've never opened a Bible before in your life, you can open up your phone, go to the Google machine, type in John 18. It will come up. I'm going to read a bit of scripture here. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met with the disciples there. So Judas has sort of set up this situation where the high priest gets the Roman officials involved because of a number of things. Jesus is preaching a different kingdom. He's preaching a a different way. He's preaching against the religious authorities of the day, and they are not having it. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? So the chief priests and the soldiers show up carrying torches and weapons. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those who gave me. Then Simon Peter, so here's our main character, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and they take him away. Peter, and in the translation in Luke, Jesus says, have you not listened to anything I've said? Really? He's like, are, are you not? I've already told you. This is a very Jewish way of saying, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Is a way of saying, like, accepting your fate. I told you this was going to happen. Why are you cutting this guy's ear off? In fact, in another passage, Jesus goes and he heals the man's ear, we're told in the story, the, the, the guard's ear. So Peter then goes on in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the great high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. Peter is about to be asked if he's one of Jesus' disciples. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also standing there warming himself. He replies in verse 17, sorry, I skipped that, I am not. He denies it. I am not. This happens again in verse 23. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden, though? Again, Peter denied it. 
And then it says at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Jesus foresaw that Peter would do this. Peter was like, no, 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 I would never deny you. You said on this rock. No, you're never going to die. We have this thing to do. If you were to wrap up Jesus' general responses to Peter up until this point, it is literally, get behind me, Satan. Like, you don't have in mind what's right. You don't have in mind the things of God. You don't have in mind what I'm doing here. And so then we read in John 21, 15, Jesus, after rising from the dead, after Peter just runs away, Jesus appears to Peter, and he reinstates him. He comes to him, and, and, and this is the famous story where, where he goes, hey, Jesus, I mean, hey, Pete, Jesus saying to Peter, saying, will you, will you feed my sheep? Which is a way of saying, like, will you lead my church? Yeah, yeah, I can't believe you're back. Oh, my gosh. Like, I just imagine in Peter's head, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Will you, will you do this? And, and remember, he's denied him three times, and, and Jesus says, well, will you feed my sheep? And Peter goes, yeah. And then Jesus asks him again. He goes, will you feed my sheep? And Peter's like, yeah. And then he asks him a third time, Jesus, Peter, sorry, will you feed my sheep? And Peter's like, oh, get what you're doing, you jerk. <laughs> he doesn't say that. But he gets it in that moment. Oh, I know I've betrayed. Yes. And then he says, then, then, then your call is to not to care for your work, is not to have these human concerns, but to have the concerns of the Father. This is what it looks like. I need you to serve the church. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's interesting is what happens in the New Testament right after all of this has happened. So even if you're brand new to church, some of these stories may sound familiar. Jesus had some followers. He dies on the cross. He rises again. Some like weird thing. Somehow I'm supposed to care about a rabbi that died 2,000 years ago and apparently rose from the dead. Right? If, if you're kind of coming in here with this, uh, maybe more of a skeptic's heart. Well, what's interesting that we do know from history is right after this happened, persecution broke out. Not everywhere, but most places. And so all of these things started to happen. So you've got emperors like Caligula, which is an amazing name for a child. Caligula. His desire was just to make people's lives miserable. Literally, from 37 to 41 AD. He has these unbelievable phrases, if you look him up, about like how he thought about the Christians and what he thought about who he was, a divine, incredible person here to root out all that wasn't in line with Rome. You have Claudius, who like he was even despised by some of the other emperors. He was this unbelievable uh, persecutor. In fact, it says in Acts 18, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, there he met a Jew named Aquila and a native Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. To be a follower of Jesus around this time was to live with tremendous persecution and you would take, like, and you would constantly be on the move. One emperor had rights over all of your possessions. And my, my favorite of all persecutors, because I have a favorite, is Nero. 
Nero is where we get the whole 666 Mark of the Beast stuff. I just messed up a bunch of people's eschatology. I'm sorry. And a bunch of you just dialed out because you have no idea what the word eschatology means. Can I get an amen? Okay. First Peter 2. We're going to read that in a second. So Nero, here's the context for First Peter. This is a letter written by this guy, Peter, that we've been talking about. Nero built a massive palace, had this revolving ceiling, he had a zoo on his property, underground ballroom. Uh, none of this is like, by the way, if you're here and you're a skeptic, none of this is like biblical information. We just know this from history. 120-foot statue of himself. Um, he makes all these ridiculous phrases, like now I can finally live as a human once his palace was built, because he saw himself as divine. Um, so he, he had this thing that was really well known as, as Christians were, there was more and more Christians and they were subverting the empire. Now a reminder, there was a concern that they would revolt violently, but actually the Christians were constantly uh, speaking in the way of love. They were constantly trying to help uh, subvert the empire by doing it in a way that honored the image of God even in their enemy. Um, but this fear grew, and there's a number of reasons why. One thing that he would do is bind Christians by stakes. He would set them on fire and wrap them like in a hide. Uh, there's spec- there, this is a little bit speculative, but because of kind of his hatred, he actually blamed, which was a massive fire in, in, uh, in AD 64, and the Christians were the ones that were actually fully to blame. And what's fascinating is right around the time that we know this letter Peter was written, he says this. So Christians are being blamed for massive fires that are happening in Rome. Nero, the guy who's already persecuting, like lighting up Christians at garden parties as if it's like entertainment. You get this letter from Peter written to the church that's here. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. He writes to these first Christians and says, don't become as evil as they are no matter what. Some lessons we could probably learn from that. That's just another sermon. First Peter 4.12 What was it like to be a Christian around this time? Dear friends, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I I say this because this is sort of maybe the end of the story a bit. This is the same guy who was like, there's no way, Jesus, you're going to the cross. And he cuts the soldier's ear off. This is after he's already been like called Satan by Jesus because he he wanted to protect Jesus and wanted to deny the fact that Jesus had to go to his death. This may all seem really abstract to you at the moment. But the reality is, and I think why this matters to us so much is because We, if any of you, this resonates, like, I said yes to Jesus. I think Jesus is interesting. There's something beautiful. Who would deny, like, a God at the center of the universe who loves us, and I can join with him in loving other people, and that's awesome. But when Peter is like that, right, and then probably multiply that by a few, and yet consistently in the scriptures, Peter is the guy who, though so excited, gets the whole thing wrong. He doesn't realize what it costs. He doesn't realize what it's supposed to look like. He has to go through what I think so many of us 
and I'm continuing to go through as somebody who like leads a church is a paradigm shift. It is too easy for us to think and swallow and believe that this is all church is supposed to be. That when Jesus invites Peter to lose his life, when Jesus has such strong words for Peter because he's so busy caring about his own protection, his own safety, his own bank account, his own fill in the blank, all of a sudden, Peter shirks away. He denies. This is the guy he's willing to like cut off a dude's ear for and then he's like, oh, things are hard. Anyone know the Enneagram? Aaron does. I'm not going to give this analogy. There's a, a personality type. There's a personality type that is, I think this is why I like Peter because I think he has, he has my personality type. He's scared of pain. It's like, yeah, I'll follow you up until this thing gets weird. And I don't just mean persecution. Because let's be honest, as much as some Christians try to talk about how Christians are persecuted in this culture because of, I don't know, they don't like the way the New York Times reports on Christians. Like, this is not persecution. The invitation, I think, for us when we look at this passage is what? Like, are you, are you willing to see the concerns of God, not your, your human concerns first? Are you willing to see what God would invite you into of what it looks like to follow him and to love radically, to radically think about how you are spending your money, how you are spending your time, how you are orienting your social media feed, how you are journeying wherever that may be. This isn't just some raw call to, like, you're going to hit hardship. Like, I take that back. This is just a big raw call that you're going to experience hardship. If you're following Jesus right, if we are truly have the concerns of God in our mind, man, it will change, and it'll be really difficult to see how, even now, even as someone's sitting here and you probably agree with everything I am saying, let me speak to you for a second. You're like, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. you got to lose your life. Yeah, Jesus, sweet, born again, got it. You're not there yet. The paradigm shift of continuing to go, I want to all the time, 100% of the time, have the concerns of God on my mind. And what's amazing is we know this is possible. We have Peter, the most overeager, zealot of a Christian, all of a sudden, in all those persecution passages that we just looked at, that letter that Peter writes, this is like a completely different guy. He's like, okay, you guys are going to experience hardships. It's going to get real. Love them anyway. This is the guy who cut the ear off of the soldier. It's going to be brutal. But rejoice in the sufferings of Jesus. This, how many of you are like, this does not sound like the same guy? This is not the Peter that we, that we, that we saw. You see, uh, we are invited into a tradition of seeing things from a different perspective. When you follow Jesus, it costs you something. And you are joining what Hebrews says is a great cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews, it lists off all these martyrs and all this awful stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you guys, that's your tradition. That's what you're a part of. We are a traditional church here at Sanctuary. We come from a tradition of people being sawed in two. This is the I haven't even begun to suffer. We recognize that we have an opportunity not to pursue suffering, that's not the aim, but to pursue the radical love and generosity and life of Jesus. This is the willing to be fed to wild dogs to see God's world go forward tradition. 
This is that we're going to be persecuted for our story, tradition. This is that I'm going to love so radically that it will somehow equally compel the world. Like, wow. And also it will be really hard for some people to own. I think in our culture, the persecution is way more internal. It's that, no, God can't be calling me to that. Right? How many of you ever thought that? God can't be calling me to, to that thing, to give up that. God can't be calling me to, to change. God, you don't understand. I have a career trajectory that I'm on. Like, I'm on a career trajectory, and I've got this weird little itch in the back of my, like, head that I'm supposed to actually go and do this. Uh, I can drown that out pretty easily. Back to my boy and girlfriend, Netflix. Please don't hear this and just think, okay, I'm, I'm doing it wrong because I'm not persecuted. No, no, no. I pray that we as a community can look at this passage, this warning from Jesus to Peter, because I think a lot of us are really zealous, excited followers of Jesus. I get to hang out with so many of you, and I'm like, you're like on top of the world. Some of you have recently become Christians are like, man, I cannot wait to rethink this and this and this. It will get hard, and probably not from some like persecuting like emperor, <laughs> unless things go really weird with China. Like, like it's not what's going to happen. No, 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 no. The, the emperor is like going to be your own Western way of seeing the world. Like the the the, the Claudius, <laughs> the Caligula, the Nero. Right? Th- this is the. You're asking me to rethink my paradigm. Yeah, I'm asking you to be reminded that you probably only have a good 75, 80, 90, maybe years in your life. That it will be over like this, and you will look back at 65 and look back at the promises of Jesus and go, ah, that would have been sweet to do some of that stuff. I realize like this whole career path and thing that I've devoted my life to or these things or these rhythms of my family life or whatever it is, like weren't that actually great crap. I'm like in the late fourth quarter of my life now. And it doesn't mean if you're here and you're in the late fourth quarter of your life, you can't begin to recommit to Jesus today. But we don't want that. It's just asking that we would have in mind the things of God, not the things of, 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 I'd say, humanity, but God loves humanity, right? Human concerns, our safety, our cash flow, our protection. I end with this passage, and then want to just kind of give a few invitations. Acts 5. The apostles were brought in. The apostles are going around talking about Jesus setting up these little outposts of love and generosity, this church. They're brought in before the Sanhedrin, who are like the religious elite. They're the ones guarding the religious system that kind of dominated this area. Here's the quote. Hey, guys. Hey, Peter. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. We told you to not talk about Jesus. It is messing up all sorts of things. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, you are like forcing our hand. I see this, the Sanhedrin are kind of reaching out. If you shut up about the whole Jesus thing, 
like, I don't, we don't have to kill anybody. We don't have to like in, invoke our power. Peter was like, thanks for the advice. We'll keep it on the down low. No, this is Peter. He says, and get this. Keep in mind Jesus' words to him, right? Uh, do not, <laughs> sorry, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely the concerns of humans. This is Jesus' warning to him. Peter says this, so good. We must obey God rather than human beings. Like, he got, that's what he did. He laid, left hand went up, and he went, yeah. He gets it. That's a direct reversal of Jesus' words. Peter, you have the wrong things in mind. And Peter goes, to, when he finally has his back against the wall, he's messed up over and over in the garden. He denies Jesus. He tries to protect Jesus. He tries to deceive Jesus and tell Jesus, no, 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 no. The thing that God's laid out for you isn't real. You're not going to die. And then Something happens when Jesus comes to him and says, are you going to feed my sheep, bro? You ready, bro? Are you ready? Do you finally get what's happening here? And Peter's like, yes. And he does it. His back is against the wall. He has an out here in this situation. And he goes, I remember this moment. <laughs> we must obey God rather than human beings. Have you ever heard the phrase, Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? Have you ever heard this phrase? Christians are so worried about like getting to heaven when you die that they're no earthly good. This is a phrase usually used, I've used this to sort of critique the way the church has often taught about heaven. I think it's actually a great, I think it needs to like be corrected. No, I think we should be so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. We need to be so focused on the fact that like, in light of eternity, I've been given this one moment, these like 60-something years to give of myself to the way of love and generosity led by the power of Jesus. I get to do this. So I'm going to be so focused on heaven that I'm actually earthly good and that I don't just look like every other person trying to kind of numb myself enough to get through life because it's hard. I'm ranting now. Because this stuff, I need to hear it. I need it. As I'm doing this, I'm like just thinking through. There's like this, this ticker tape in the back of my head. That's like, oh man, that is something where I'm too focused in on like my protection, my well-being. There are people, God, that you brought into my life that I need to pour myself out for. This isn't an invitation to not have self-care. This isn't an invitation necessarily, though it might be to sell everything you own. This is an invitation to take seriously the things of God, to thread God's presence through your day, to be aware of what God's concerns are. And the thing is, is God is so stinking faithful, literally just walking out of the doors today going, God, until dinner time, dinner's in like four hours, five hours. Will you show me what your concerns are? Show me as I go about my life what your concerns are. There's a lot more to do, learning about the person of Jesus, learning what it means to follow him, doing this in community, all that stuff. But like a first step, just ask. It's worth a shot, right? God, will you reveal to me what the things of you are? Jesus finishes this passage that we started with, talking about whoever like, would lose your life 
will find it. There's something about actually losing your life for whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to live the way that we were called to live, their truest self, the true humanity, the kingdom of God where Jesus is ruling and reigning, you have to lose your life. It's this weird paradoxical statement. You've got to let it go. Whoever loses their life will find me. So this week, my invitation is to ask you guys to, to, to think about this. What do you have in mind? Do you have in mind the things of God or do you have in mind the things uh, of like your own self-preservation, your own agenda? Because here's the thing, when you lay your own agenda down, God has this weird tendency of coming back and going like, yeah, 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 that whole gift, that thing you love to be a part of, that career choice you've made, those decisions, that person, yeah, yeah, now that you finally surrender that and let that go, man, I'm, I'm going to give it back to you, and I'm going to give it back to you better than you could have ever imagined. I'm going to give that back to you with a vision of what that looks like redeemed. What do you have in mind? What do you have in mind this week? Ask yourself that. Say, God, I want to have the things of you in mind. We spend so much energy trying to control things, we spend so much energy making things a certain way because we're terrified of how like, the unknown might turn out. We have so much anxiety and worry. We burn so many calories thinking about how am I going to get through this week or do this thing or orient my life this way or save enough for this. How much sleep do we lose because there are things that might not happen the way we had planned them. This person might not submit to me. I have this fear. And we know that the things of God, there is no spirit of fear. Right? Amen? There is no fear. There is no condemnation. There is only grace. That we can step like with a joy, with a skip in our step. My daughter is learning how to skip. It's really awkward. She just kind of goes like this. It's more of Frankenstein than skip. But the joy on her face as she's watching daddy and mommy go like this, and she's just like, as cheesy as it sounds, like we, we need to learn to like skip into this life that God has for us. Like skip into the joy and grace and love of God and allow him to go, let me give you my concerns because they're better. They're amazing. It's how you were wired to live and move. It's what it looks like to be fully activated I've said this so many times, I'm going to keep bringing it back because it's such a cultural moment. The Pope, love the Pope. He's doing nothing interesting. He's just like doing, following the way of Jesus. Right? We're like, oh man, isn't that cool? Like he invited, he went and had dinner with some homeless folks instead of like the power brokers of Washington. How is that different than anything we could, you don't need to know like the background and history of the Bible. You need to like read like a few paragraphs of what Jesus was about to know. Like, oh yeah, that's what Jesus would have done. Like the invitation for us to skip into the joy of God and to walk in his way and to be reminded of this, man, the life that Jesus will have for us is one that will turn heads. And with this, Peter, um, at the uh, Q Commons event this week, there was a survivor from uh, the outbreak of Ebola, if you remember that happened last year. One of the few people that survived. And he, was, he was a Christian. 
And he said, the number one question I'm asked is, do you believe your faith healed you? Because most people don't ever come back from Ebola. Do you believe your faith healed you, that God used medicine and doctor to heal you as one of the few survivors of this? And he says, this is brilliant. He goes, dude, my, my faith? My faith is what put me in that position. My faith gave me Ebola. Do you, you get in this? Like, my faith put me there. I, I, don't, I don't know if God was a part of that. He, I, I know I was supposed to be there at a time such as that. My faith put me into the position. That man in that moment had the concerns of God on his mind. This is our invitation. What do you have in mind? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray uh, that the spirit in this room is not one of, uh, yeah, of condemnation or fear or feeling bad because we haven't, like, sacrificed something. I, I just pray all of that away. And I ask for a real, tangible, like, owning and understanding, Lord, of, of your purposes, of your vision, of your concerns for us of what it means for us to have a a proper vision of our life. I pray with joy we would would be able to skip, Lord, into this. This would be because of your freedom and love that we excitedly go, okay, God, what do you want me to lose? Okay, God, I don't want to have all these human concerns that I have. Jesus, because I, I, I could sit here as the guy with the microphone, like, prescribing what it should look like for every person, <laughs> but I have no idea. I know you have invited my family, Lord, into all sorts of miraculous and joyful things, and we are still very much on the road of learning what it means to have your concerns in mind. And so I just pray for specificity in the hearts of those who are here and listening to you. That this week, as we reflect, what do I have in mind right now? What's driving me? That we as a church, as a body of people called out to have the things of you in mind, would come back next week with stories of invitations from you to step into the life of the ages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this table, the invitation's pretty clear. This is the symbol of, of, a, of a death. Jesus says, my body broken and my blood poured out. This is a, the, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate act of love that we do every week as a reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and what we as the body of Christ are invited into to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out. And so as we come to the table, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, may this be a reminder of the forgiveness of our sins and of the freedom that we have to step into the life of God. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus,
I know this may not make a whole lot of sense, but I would encourage you if in this moment you are feeling inside, not because of my words or whatever, the gentle music behind me, but that you would be able to respond to what God is maybe doing in your heart right now. That maybe this is a moment for you to say yes to Jesus. Say, I want to follow you. I recognize that my concerns are backwards so often. And I want to trust you that I'm loved, forgiven, set free to walk into a whole new way of life. To be born again, Scripture talks about. So maybe this moment as folks are coming to take communion, this moment for you is one to, to say yes. And to come and, and just be, be prayed for. To come and take communion for the first time saying, yeah, yeah, I, I, this, this is, I'm going to mark this moment. So let me pray for this, Lord. For those uh, that want to become Christians right now, Lord, I pray, Lord, they, they, they would be able to respond. <laughs> I never know what to pray, Lord. I just know that you continue to do amazing work in people's hearts. And so I just extend an invitation now for folks that want to follow Jesus. Just throw your hand up. Just say yes. Like, I, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And that for those of us coming to this table, knowing all that this represents, Lord, may we be filled again with a tangible understanding and sense of your forgiveness and love and the invitation that we have to mission with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you come up the center aisle, take the bread, and dip it in the cup? I want to invite, we do this sometimes, invite our, our uh, servers, instead of saying Christ's body broken and blood poured out, to just say cheers. That this would be a moment where we go, cheers, thank you for the love of God. This is a celebrated, celebratory moment. So, would you come up the center? Take the communion and come out the side. If you'd like to be prayed for, if you'd like someone to speak a word over you, if you said yes to Jesus in this moment, there'll be some folks over here in the prayer area to pray for you. So, come forward.
So we go into a time of giving. The offering played we passed around. I want to remind you that this is worship. This is worship. So as that plate gets passed around, if you're new here today, please feel free to let it pass you. Today, Andrew is beautifully explaining what it is to be a disciple of the church. And Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew. And he says this word to them as he gives them authority to go out into the world, into their city. He says, freely you have received, now freely give. So he's talking a lot more than just your money or your materials. They have been given authority to heal, to give the gospel. But as we go into this time of giving, may you stop and take a moment and realize the blessings you have in Jesus Christ. Salvation, mercy, love, forgiveness. May we give as we have received. Can you pray with me? Jesus, everything we have is by your hand, through your grace and through your love. We give to you in this moment with thanks. And we worship you. Amen.
I love simple words sometimes. I feel like it's like a kid's song, like, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're enough. I've decided all over again to follow you and all that that means. I love that we are never beyond those words. I love that no matter how cynical or critical or apathetic we get, there's nothing beyond just saying, well, I, I want to follow you again. What does it mean now to go deeper into the life of the ages? What does it mean to step further in to who you have created us as a church to be? And so is our benediction. I know 9 a.m., we don't like to get too charismatic. But may we just sing out with all that is, is true and authentic and real in our hearts, just to sing out these simple words. I have decided to follow you, that you are enough, enough for us, Lord. So as we close, might we sing again. I pray that we would have the concerns of you over the concerns of anything else in our mind. Teach us what that means, Lord, in our workplace, in our school life, in our families, in our relationships, in our finances, in our time. Teach us, Lord. We thank you for all that you are doing in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Two things before we go. If you'd like to be just prayed for, whether you have a concern or not, there's folks over here who would love to pray for you. If something's happening in, in your heart that doesn't make any sense in your head, I encourage you to come on and be prayed for. Secondly, if you'd like to know more about our, our church, we're doing something right in the balcony after the service, a little intro to sanctuary class. So if you're here uh, and you have... 20 extra minutes, will you just join us, head straight up to the balcony, the doors to the left in the lobby, and I'll be up there to walk us through a little bit of Q&A time uh, and just some information about our church and who we are. So with that, peace be with you. Have a great morning.
We're going to start the intro to sanctuary class now, if you want to head up.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. It's good to see you. I think I think more than half our congregation came to the 9 a.m., but we doing okay? You guys woke up this morning? Yeah? I'm going to do this a lot. It's great to see you. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the leaders here at Sanctuary, and um, we, uh, every week, uh, we begin our time kind of reorienting ourselves um, back to what we believe uh, to, to be true. And we recognize that not everyone who comes through these doors are, are followers of Jesus, um, but we have an understanding of, of what is at the, the center of everything, the, that vague spirituality that we all recognize beyond our five senses, that, that is, uh, there is personality there. Uh, that people have been writing about this this God for centuries. That is, God is revealed uh, in Jesus, which is why so many of the the great humans <laughs> throughout history uh, who have been faithful to actually walking the way of Jesus they captivate us because there's something uh, about turning our attention uh, to that which is most true. Uh, and I wanted to just say this morning, uh, the worship team is going to lead us. Uh, in some reflection around Jesus' invitation to just sort of come and be. Come and be present. Come and rest. Come and take a moment and, and own um, or, or even wrestle with. Maybe you're not in a place where you can own this. Uh, but who God says that he is and what this Jesus is like to come and simply arrive regardless of how you're feeling. The psalmist uh, says in in this psalm that feels backwards, it says, I will sing of God's great love. I will sing of God's beauty. I will sing of mercy and grace that my, that my heart might be changed. In other words, so often we think I've got to be in a good headspace. I've got to have everything figured out. I want to be, I want to be honest about where I'm at emotionally, which is a good thing. But so often we actually act our way into new way of thinking. Sometimes uh, the same reason why if you're feeling down and out, you either want to put really depressing music on so you can dive further into that, or you want to put, like, Taylor Swift on so you can, like, I don't know, try to remove yourself from that funk. Part of what we're doing when we come together to sing is stating some things that we believe are true regardless of how we're feeling. We come to reorient ourselves after a week of so often so much of culture kind of shifting us and telling us how we need to be or what we, life needs to look like. And so I just encourage you to hear this invitation to arrive here now. And whether you want to stand and raise your hands and dance in the aisle or you're someone who's thoroughly freaked out by that and want to sit or just go to your knees and, and have a moment of just just being still before God, we just encourage you to engage this time with total freedom uh, as we... Uh, as we align ourselves back to what we believe is most true about the world. So pray with me if you would. Lord, open our eyes that we might see you. We pray this. Open our ears that we would hear you. Or open our hearts we would know you more. May the words that we proclaim of, of who you are, of what you are like, reminding ourselves that we are not the ones in the center of the universe. 
as we breathe in the rest, that we can just simply sit at your feet like kids going before a good father, a good mother, and just saying thank you and rejoicing in that love, Lord. I pray that you would um, speak something new into this space. In your name we pray. Amen.